Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This is a special Hockey Week Across America edition of The Full 60. This is a a week that USA Hockey does every year that I love to support, in part because my family has benefited. Part of this is a Try Hockey Day, Try Hockey for Free Day, where you can take your kids to the rink. They outfit them completely, um, and pretty much any rink that's affiliated with USA Hockey across the country. And they can just, they get coaching, they get uh, an opportunity to try it out. It's it's low risk, and both times that I did it with my kids, they were like, "Yeah, I want to keep going, and I want to skate, and I want to I want to progress from here." And the man behind the concept is USA Hockey Executive Director Pat Kelleher, and it's it's been something that's been going on for a while now at USA Hockey that he. Uh, initiated as he was moving up the ranks of USA Hockey, and he is now, since 2017, the executive director. And we thought it would be fitting to release this today because Hockey Week Across America, um, first there's the big NBC Hockey Day in America on Sunday, which I'm sure you saw games uh, from if you're living in the States, and then Monday is a salute to players Tuesday, the day that we're releasing this, is a salute to coaches, and Pat not only is the executive director of USA Hockey, he has been coaching hockey for 25 years. He's a level five certification in the USA hockey uh, leveling process. Um, and it, it was just, it seemed like the timing was perfect to do that. And I sat down with Pat at USA hockey's uh, rink in Plymouth, Michigan, a couple of weeks ago um, when the all American game was there, got a good hour with them. Um, and you know, it's not often do you get a chance to, sit down with the person that's that's running the governing body of the sport you cover. And it was really good. I mean, there's clearly when you listen to it, there's some things I want to get off my chest, a lot of questions I had. And Pat was open and honest, and I thought it was a great conversation. Um, and so before we get to it, let me just finish up the week in, t- in terms of the themes. So we've got the Salute to Coaches, which is Tuesday, February 18th, depending on when you're listening to this. Wednesday is the Salute to Officials. Thursday, the Salute to Local Rinks. Friday, wear your favorite hockey jersey day. Saturday, February 22nd, if you've got kids, this is the key one, is Try Hockey Day. And then on Sunday, it's Celebrate Local Hockey Heroes Day. So just a cool week that USA Hockey does to promote the game, to celebrate all of the people that are putting a lot of time from coaches to parents to officials to players. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a really cool initiative. And Pat Keller has a huge hand in it. So it was really, it was really fun to sit down with Pat and have a conversation about where the game is right now in the United States, where it needs to be, uh, and you know maybe what's preventing it from getting there at times. So it was a pretty, really good, honest, open conversation. So let's jump right into it. This week's Full 60 with USA Hockey's Executive Director, Pat Kelleher. Well, Pat, first of all, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you, Craig. I'm glad we were able to finally uh, get in the same place at the same time yeah, and, yeah. and pull this off. Um, just because of the timeliness of it, I, I know you're just coming from Orlando, and there's a lot. I'm sure that a lot of business getting done. Was there any um, focal points or like what what 
What was going on down there? Yeah, I think so. What we had, it's our winter meeting. So we have yeah. two meetings a year, a winter meeting. Uh, so our board of directors meets to, to end the week. But we have all of our councils, committees, sections that are volunteers, work with our staff. So we had, you know, 300 plus people down there and talking about the future of the game, talking about some of our business, national championships, all those things. And we had... Uh, we do town halls down there where we have some big topics that we get into in front of everyone in this in attendance. Okay. And I would say the highlight for us um, was a session on diversity and inclusion. Uh, we did a Q&A with Kim Davis from the NHL, myself, Jim Smith, our president. So really the leadership from USA Hockey talking yeah. about what's a challenging conversation about diversity and inclusion. How do we make our game more welcoming for families uh, and make sure we, we get rid of any of this hateful behavior or hateful use of language, try and get that stuff out of our game. And how do we make our help our sport continue to evolve to become more diverse across the country? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great jumping off point. So um, was, were the questions coming from the crowd or like people, like parents of players? We actually had a moderator, okay. uh, Darren Haynes, who is an African-American who works in the sports media world. He's in D.C. now. He came down and he's been a couple events for USA Hockey as a moderator on this type of discussion. Yeah. Um, so he he has a pretty good under a pretty good handle on what we're looking at from the USA Hockey side what the NHL is looking at from from the NHL level yeah. um, and how we can work together. And, and again, as Darren, I think, opened up the meeting with in front of, you know, our, our audience was, hey, this is this is likely going to have some difficult moments in this conversation, but we have to have it. And I think yeah. that was a great he set a great tone, a great environment to allow us to really dig in a little bit in the topic. So what what were some of the concerns brought up that? Well, I just think obviously historically our game is is. Um, you know, leans much more to the to the people look a lot like me it's and you what, in the game. Yeah, I it's should a say, way, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a lot right. of it's not uh, not as racially diverse. There's not yeah. as many people of color involved in it, um, and we're growing at the grassroots level. And, and really, how to continue to grow our game is to make the population of people playing youth hockey look like the population of our country. Yeah. And how do we do that? There's challenges, you know, with that. But we 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 have historically, I think, where our diversity has been recently in the past 20 years has been the growth on the female side mm -hmm. and then the growth in disabled sports for us. Right. And now our board starts to look more representative with more females on the board in positions of leadership, same within our staff. Uh, and then on the, the disabled side, same thing. We have more disabled people, people that are uh, in wheelchairs that are involved in sled programs with us that are now involved in volunteer positions at the USA Hockey as well. And how do we now the next step, how do we have more people of color involved? Yeah. How do we how do we look at what's happening in parts of the country where, you know, say a Southern California, the population of Asian Americans in our youth programs is is larger than in lots of other parts of the hmm. country. How do we look at those things and find what's working and, and apply that to other parts of the country? So let's let's start with where you've had growth and you talk about, you know, the, the disabled side and, and the women. I mean, we've seen the women like they've carried the torch, right? For yeah. I mean, they're they're dominant. Yeah. And when you start to get women in leadership roles, like where have you seen the payoff as an organization when you start to diversify in that it, front? Just the perspectives of different people, you know. And even on the female side, you know, we have okay, what's it like for a female athlete? Now, I have daughters that have played, mm -hmm. and I looked at as a parent and a youth program administrator at the time, helping a coach, helping her run the program. To say, okay, well, you know, this is little girl, she's seven, and there's four other little girls 
let's not spread them all out so there's one girl in each part of the ice. Let's put them all together so they right. can have fun and it's a co-ed situation, but they're with people that are that look like them. They're yeah. other little girls. Um, yeah. And at the board level, at the higher levels, again, as we have more um, impact with more women playing the game, girls at the youth level, women, um, you know, what are the what are the differentiators? What what do we look at to make sure that it's as as positive experience as it can be and just to have that perspective. And that's actually one of the things we talked about with in our town hall in the DNI was okay, if we have more people of color, they bring a different experience. They bring right. a different background to it that that just can't be replicated. Right, right. And you're like like just from a pure like competitive standpoint, you want to draw from the biggest pool possible players. Like Absolutely, we you know that's I would say that's that's probably been a criticism of you know the hockey in in the U.S. Right, like there's typically there's a kind of kid that comes up right and yeah and, and I think if you look at it, um, what would they, they typically would say? Okay, if a kid grows up in in Canada, right, the top athletes are picking the most uh, popular sport in the country, and that traditionally has been hockey right you know and you look at it maybe in different parts of the u.s and in, in the boston area or minnesota where hockey's been predominant you, you you think maybe you got the best kids there and they produce the best talent other parts of the country you're seeing now we're starting to see the best athletes choosing hockey and their kids that probably could play quarterback on the football team yeah or you know be the the starting attackman in lacrosse and they're they're choosing hockey what as an organization can you do to make sure that happens more often? Right. Like I, I still see, you know, where I'm, I see, I've got kids and all the kids are playing, you know, the, the best athletes typically aren't playing hockey. Like I still feel like it's still that, that club. It's like, Oh, you play hockey and it becomes, it's still pretty niche. Yeah. Like what are you, and I know there's some like that try hockey free, but like, yeah. what are, like how do you tap into that as yeah. like, in we, this we've country? We've had a lot of those initiatives since we introduce the game to yeah. people. Um, so that's the first step, right? Welcome them, invite them into the rink. And that's for anybody. And I think again, just, kind of tying into the diversity and inclusion discussion, how do we intentionally go out into areas where there is, you know, again, uh, people of color in, in some of these areas? How do we right. go and, and really invite and engage with them? That was kind of the things that, that I think Kim Davis from the NHL shared with us in a few sessions that, mm. you, you know, you got to talk to to them intentionally. How do you, how do you do that? Why, you know, how can we welcome you into our sport and make sure when they come in, it's it's as good as it possibly can be. Well, the thing we always talk about is how do we make hockey the best youth sports experience in every community where it exists? Because right. if that happens, that's word of mouth. Right. right. If the kids have a great experience, the parents have a great experience, they talk about it with their friends and their neighbors. Yeah. And then the kids they go to school with. And that's where ultimately – you know, that's the best sales point ever. We can do all that we want, but if we it's provide the be. best youth sports experience, then that gets around. And that's where, where you have different communities that are stronger in hockey because they do a really, really good job and expands their population. Right. And so, and the reality is, and you know this, the flip side happens if it's a bad experience, um, that travels pretty fast too, Absolutely. right? And, Absolutely. And, you know, obviously it, it, that's been a, his, there's a history of that, right? Uh, on the ice. So again, what if, like, what, what what do you guys do to make sure that it becomes a positive experience yeah, if so, you're not? So the challenge for us with, you know, we have 650,000 members across right. the country. We have 2,500 local associations that are all members of USA Hockey that we work with. And they do a great job. Um, and this really is, you know, from the negative side that on the question you, you asked here, we're, we're talking about societal issues. Right. Right. And so how do we in hockey, how do we 
how do we make a positive impact on society through hockey participation? So there's the, and then further on that, I think I'm on point five of two right now. <laughs> um, it's being both proactive and then reactive. Okay. So on the proactive side, how do we get ahead? How do we promote, you know, the positivity? How do we promote to players and families that certain things aren't acceptable in our game? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we made a change mid-season this year, which was more proactive for us to make a rule change where that if a player, and again, we're dealing with youth players primarily, if they use a racial slur or hateful derogatory language on the ice in a game or even around the rink, it's called by an official or recognized, and they would be a match penalty. Game misconduct, automatic suspension, and a hearing that has to go with that. Yeah. Because ultimately, we want to be – that's a reactive position, right? If they do that, there's a penalty, there's a hearing, and then we need to provide a, a path back, basically. How do these kids, a 13-, 14-year-old, you know, not be banished for life, right. but, but understand right. the severity of and the hurtfulness of language? And – some of the feedback I've gotten when you talk about a path back, I, I've gotten you know the, the the kid who is gotten yelled at ends up being punished because now, oh you're you're a pro- like oh this kid's not worth the headache like I've because I've wanted to write about it and I'm like hey you know this happened on the ice this is an issue let's call attention to it and it's like well, and I understand it why they wouldn't want it to call attention because well, I don't want my son's name to be right. In, right, you know, in the focal point of this conversation, it might prevent him from getting picked up on a tournament team, and yeah. and I find that challenging as a journalist, and I imagine like it's got to be challenging as an organizational for body. sure because that's that's never fair, right? That person has been victimized, right? So how do we make sure that they do get every opportunity to be a part of our game? And I think ultimately that's the point. How do we eradicate the use of that language in hockey? And I, I say youth hockey a lot. We have adult programs and all that, but I yeah. think really for us. You know, grassroots membership based, you're talking about youth players and families and how do we impact it there so that every kid that comes in is is in a safe and welcoming environment that they know, you know, they sh- should know when they walk into an ice rink or family brings their child in to play youth sports in an ice rink for hockey, that it should be a welcoming experience and that negativity just can't be a part of it. So ultimately, how do we, how do we get rid of that? How do we eradicate that? And, yeah. and penalties and punishment is one part. But I think the education behind it, the learnings, the promotions through our channels of, hey, this is this stuff isn't accepted. This is what we're, you know, what we're here about to have a great experience for everybody. Yeah. Did you it just anecdotally, like what were you hearing stories or in the town hall and like what you know, what what were you hearing in terms of those Yeah, well, I'd say not in the town hall. Um town hall again we kind of talked about where we're at and the things we're trying to do i think one of the reasons in october when our president jim smith ordered or or put out this presidential directive that we Mm -hmm. were going to add this penalty to our rules for the use of the language um you know we'd 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 heard too many reports and i'm not you know it's not 100 reports but it's more than two yeah um you know there's just too many reports of people again kids using using hateful language mm-hmm. and that every one of those reports that does you know happen it hurts a kid locally for sure but then it's in the media right and it hurts our sport and for all the good things we're all trying to do um it's it it can be be challenging because that's not what our sport is and it's not what we want it to be but there's instances that happen that have to be have to be dealt with to try and help us get out and again i think 
going back to the town hall, we were in a position where we were having some of this conversation in front of a front of an audience. Yeah. And, you know, how do we do this? And and it's not it, it the big thing I think for us and and even with our work with the NHL is we have to have the conversation. We have to talk about why this is hurtful to someone or, you know, perception is reality in some of these cases, you know, right. and that's that's all we can do is keep talking about it, keep educating and and hopefully keep keep eliminating that stuff from our game. Yeah. Have you seen so that that was what November when that rule change was? Uh, I think we actually did it at the end of October. Yeah, and there's a it's a game misconduct in a hearing, yes. and when there's and have have you seen? Is it too early for results, or have you seen any like numbers or impact? Yeah, we've that? we've seen numbers. It's hard, right? There's nothing you can almost measure it against, um, right? But we've seen it. I think what we've seen is is it's our our officials, our referees from the administrative level have done a really good job getting the word out because again, it's not like you know, the, the officials has to, you know, read this before they go out on the ice. We have to push it down through all our channels. And we're talking about officials that, you know, youth hockey referees can be 15-year-olds. Right. So we, I think our officials group has done a really good job getting the, getting the message out through all our different channels so that officials know that, hey, if something happens like this, here's how you have to handle it. And you have to be aware. I think one of the challenges that some people thought was, oh, if you make this such a severe, quote-unquote, penalty – then the referees just aren't going to call it, you know, because it's it's too much if they heard it. Well, well, our point is, hey, if you heard it, it's it's significant, serious, and you have to take it that way. And we're protecting. I can't everybody. believe that's an argument, Pat. I like someone would say, "Hey, we don't we, we don't want to punish that kid yeah. too much for that." Like that's so telling to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, it's. I mean, again, it's 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 a challenge. And I, again, I give full credit to our officials that have done that. And again, we're our job is to try and get the word out to our coaches to our families, everyone that's involved as members of USA hockey, that this, this has to stop and yeah. it just has to, has to stop. And if it doesn't, there's repercussions. And then again, there's for kids and offenders, there's a, there's a path to redemption, a path to come back. Right. Um, you mentioned Kim Davis, who's become such an important voice for the NHL. Uh, how, how much um how much have you interacted with her and like what like what role has she played in kind of guiding USA hockey? Yeah, quite a bit. She's been really helpful. Um because she's such a she's she's so she she understands kind of the landscape that that she's come into at the NHL level and then you know what happens in youth hockey and with USA hockey. She's been a really good listener um for us with some of our challenges and, and what we've what we're trying to get here. She's also done a really good job pushing us. Yeah. To say you guys can be you can be more aggressive in this area. You can you can do more. Um, and, and so she's she's great. I mean, she's someone that we can pick up the phone with whenever she's right back with us. Again, we see each other at events. We invite her to come to be at USA Hockey events to help us. And um, what she's doing for the league and our sport is really, you know, she she says it'll be not necessarily transformational, but it is. And it's, yeah. it's evolutionary. I mean, I think that's the thing is that it's, it's not um, at one of the meetings. Um, she's another person on, on staff, Brian Blake, and he was talking about it as well. His role as director of DNI now for the NHL. And you said, hey, this isn't there's no finish line here. This is something right. we will always work on and make it part of our game and our sport. And I think that's just the approach from Kim and the work she's done in the NHL at their levels and their leadership levels and their management levels. And, and she's, you know, she recognizing that at USA hockey, we deal with thousands of volunteers as right. well as staff. So she's been very positive. Um, she's really 
seems to love hockey. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, you've been around hockey enough when you have people that show that passion for it and want to help the game get better. I think everybody just says, okay, yeah, we want to work with this person to make this happen. Right. So, you know, you, you, you kind of are in the, I don't want to say early phases because this is something that's constantly being evolving to use yeah. your word. How do you, how do you get people that look like Kim Davis in leadership positions in USA hockey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think it's, so it's not you and I having this yeah, conversation. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a challenge. It still is. I mean, we're looking, we're, we're looking for people. We're looking for the best people we can find in these jobs. Yeah. Um, in jobs or volunteer roles really for us, it starts at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at our leadership positions of our volunteer people, they started in a local youth hockey association and then they may be, ran for a position in a state youth hockey association yeah. and then they ran for a national level position as a volunteer and they have that impact on our board right now we're in that spot where okay how do we where do we find people that are already in our game at the local level yeah and help them learn about the rest of what goes on in usa hockey and, and bring them along and find new leaders and new faces so it, right. it starts the grassroots level that's that's our whole you know, that's our whole system for USA Hockey. It starts the grassroots. We find people in different communities and then see where they can help us and have an impact along the way. Um, I feel like Stephanie Jackson is a good example of bringing in some, you know, a different voice, right? Like yeah. what was the impetus behind that, that hiring? And So again, and, and this is, you know, we keep leaning back and if we're talking about diversity and inclusion yeah. and Pat Kelleher is doing it. Right, right. You know, we, we, need, we need someone that, that can come in and really help us have the perspective of a person of color. Right. And so Stephanie uh, joined us just in June. And okay. it's almost amazing just because all of the places she's been for us, all the conversations she's had for us um, out in the field with our affiliates, our grassroots, our local people. Um, she's done, a, again, a really good job learning what our structure is and yeah. where some of the real challenges are. And, and that people are, are open for this conversation and want to have the help and so through Stephanie and again, she, she communicates on our behalf a lot with Kim Davis and her team. What are resources out there that we can bring to bear? Because Stephanie can't be every place, right. nor is she expected to be. But if we're doing an event in Minnesota, what are local resources there that can help us to talk about diversity and inclusion with local people in Minnesota? Yeah. Now, like this wasn't a path. I intended going down, but I, like, I think that, like you said, this is an important conversation. Did you, like, I was critical of the John Van Beesbrook hiring for that history. How, like, how is that conversation had when you, when you're talking to people about this, this topic, right? Like, yeah. I again, like I think, I, you know, I mentioned it before and, and people, people make mistakes mm -hmm. and how do they act beyond that? And how do they look for kind of a, a path back in? And yeah. I think that's one of the things when we're, you know, when we're educating, um, that, that things happen and there, it can be extremely difficult and challenging. Um, but you know, I think our sport, uh, humility is a big factor in hockey. Yeah. And I think people that show that, uh, and act genuinely there, there's a, there's a path back and people can be contributors to our game. Yeah. Has that come up when you're talking grassroots or like, does that become an issue at all when you're promoting the game or? You know, it gets certain things get brought up, right? And we have to be, um, we have to, again, we have to discuss these things, right? Yeah, They're difficult. Right. And they do get brought up sometimes uh, at the grassroots level. It's, it's, I think more of the conversation is, you know, how do we as the local youth hockey program 
find more people in our community to come into play. Yeah. And I think that's really the thing is, okay, if I'm running, you know, for me, where, where we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Amateur Hockey Association, how are we looking around our community to go get more people to come into our game and go get more people of color? And they don't, you know, they're members of USA Hockey, the Colorado Springs program, but other than the fact that we're across the street, right. you know, they're, they're thinking about the local market and how can a kid come and be a junior tiger or play for CompuWare here at USA Hockey Arena. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's always those things that people connect. And yeah. I think sometimes media connects, as you well know. <laughs> right. Um, but at the grassroots level, you know, we're, I think our groups do a really, are, are really trying to engage people to come in and show them, you know, ultimately how great our sport is. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we all, we all know it that are around it that, one of the things in my previous role at USA Hockey of membership development was we want a parent to walk in, see hockey going on and say, I want that for my kid right. because the kids are having fun or having, they're getting exercise, they're engaged, they come off with, as we always say, sweaty heads and smiles. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I think we have to continue to promote. How's the, like a, has the kind of shift in coaching we've at the it's, we've been dealing with it a lot at the NHL level and in terms of when you talk about having a positive atmosphere right where you want kids having fun and how have you we've seen coaching evolve at the NHL level what you can and cannot say to a player how, yeah. I'm sure you guys as an organization want to reflect that to your coaches absolutely what absolutely. is what, like what do those conversations look like so you know we've had for for 30 years within the Olympic movement within the U.S. Yeah. We've had, you know, we say it, but they say it too, all the other national governing bodies, we have the gold standard for coaching education. Yeah. So for 60,000 plus coaches, we've been in conversation with them for 30 plus years in our coaching education. So, and our emphasis, you know, forever has been how to teach the game, how to teach kids to play. But in the past 10 plus years since we launched the American Development Model, mm -hmm. it's been how to do what's right for kids. Right. That's make it, you know, they're, they're kids, but when we say it's athlete centered, so it's focused on the experience of that particular player and how they get better. So I think from that side, we've had, we've been having those conversations at the grassroots level for a long, long time. And I think we have, you know, primarily mostly uh, across the country, very, very positive environments for kids to play. I think that ties in to the membership growth that we've had. Right. Right. Because right. ultimately when the, when the kid steps through the doors to the rink, little boy, little girl, when they get on the ice, the door shuts behind them. Yeah. And the coach is the one that delivers the youth hockey experience. Right. And if they don't deliver a good experience where it's fun, kids are getting better. They're having a good time then that's when we lose kids. And yeah. I think, you know, the 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 job that our that volunteer youth coaches do is unbelievable. They put in so much time and effort and energy. <laughs> it's a thinkless and job. It's passion, oh yeah. And, and I think it's it's shown that we we believe too that the coaches have to be educated. Right. If you just go out there and again we all know costs around the game and you know to rent an hour of ice somewhere and you can't, you know, we don't want to waste that. Yeah. Right. So our coaches receive a lot of instruction, communication, you know, we have online coaching modules now, there's resources out there so that when a kid steps on the ice, that coach has the tools to make it a fun and positive learning experience. And you mentioned the growth. I I read, so 1718, there was a record number of 8U participation. There was an 1819 as well. And so yeah, uh, I was gonna say. 20 is on the way as well. So each, each is a record year over year. Yeah, yeah, so for eight and unders, 
Wow. You know, that's the entry level, right? And yeah. All our, all our youth programs are set up to take kids in those ages to get started. Um, we've made, you know, we've made changes in the game at that level, right? Everything is either half ice or cross ice within USA hockey for that age group yeah. to make it age appropriate. And we've seen that have a positive impact in our numbers, not only new kids coming in, but retention of players. I was just going to ask you, what's the retention? Yeah. Like? I mean, we, we used to, we used to have some areas where, so in that, in that area, it's, it's tough. You know, retention is tough because you have sports sampling as well. Right. Right. Like right. With your six I, or seven year old. I, we do the same kids. thing. Yeah, we're, we're like, try, try this for you. Yeah. Yeah. Lacrosse, yeah. Basketball. Um, but we've seen our, our numbers continue to grow and in eight and under, you get some of that churn ages nine to 14. So we always say if we can graduate a kid to become a nine year old hockey player, that's the key. Eh? Our that's... nine to 14 age retention is hovers around 90%. Right. So kids get there, they stay in the game and that's huge. So those younger levels, it's introducing more kids to the game, giving them the opportunities to play on the front end to get through any barriers to entry, like cost or commitment level yeah. um, time. Right. And there, that's where we have, the partnership that we have with the NHL and the NHL NHLPA Learn to Play program, which has been going, I think we're in our fourth season of that now. You know, they have uh, programs that every NHL club does in the U.S. Yeah, where they'll introduce kids to the game, and they can have a six or eight week program. Um, the kids get full gear, head to toe, quality instruction, materials from USA Hockey, the American Development Model, and membership in USA Hockey for like 150 bucks in a lot of these places. Yeah, that's pretty good. So that's a huge way to take out those initial concerns of, well, I got to go buy all this gear to see if my kid likes it. Right. So this way, it's it all comes in one package, and the league does an unbelievable job with it. The Players Association does a great job with it. They have, you know, in each market, they'll have uh, NHL alumni, players out in the ice. And yeah. That gets the excitement, the energy that the league has put behind it, like the member clubs have put behind it is great. I mean, I think the Bruins, you know, in the Boston and New England area, I think they have close to 4,000 kids that have come into the game in the past two years through these learn-to-play programs. That's great. And and it, well, we may not know what the payoff is for, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Although I think we've, like, I look at the draft that just happened last, I guess, yeah, last draft. Yeah, with last spring. All the Americans going in, in some level that is a, that reflects what happened 10 years ago. Yeah, it, it sure does. And it reflects, you know, not to take, we're not taking full credit because it's the effort of those volunteer coaches, right. those families, those parents. But when you have a deeper pool of participants mm-hmm. and in a, in a system and structure and model that's geared around making each kid or helping each kid reach their potential, whatever that is, yeah. we think those are, those things align. Right. That's where that's where you're, you get hopefully more higher end players, more depth of players at the highest levels. And again, we're I think we're thinking in this conversation about on the boys side or the men's side with the NHL draft. Yeah, right. But certainly the same way on the girls side. Right. You know, right. I mean, the, the depth we have on the girls side, I happen to be at the the U18 Women's World Championship in Bratislava in January. And our team uh, beat Canada for the gold medal two to Great. one. They played 17 minutes of three-on-three overtime, yeah, which was unbelievable. Awesome. Just, yeah. just super exciting. But the level of play of these players, there was there were people from the other uh, federations that were at that game that were blown away. Yeah, because in other countries, you know, the girls' hockey isn't at the level in U.S. and Canada. And then when they see 18-year-olds from the U.S. and Canada play at the highest level for a gold medal, they were blown away at the quality of play. Yeah, so uh, it's. Pat, you mentioned um, you know the the 
record amount of growth. This and this may be like super niche and uninteresting to anybody else. <laughs> but one of the complaints I get at the lower level, or not complaints, but I've people have told me, and I'm not. My kids are playing other sports now, so they've we probably are in the in the kids who tried and then were like, hey, it's too hard to skate group. <laughs> um, but my friends who are into it, they'll, they, apparently there's leagues that aren't USA Hockey, right? Correct. Youth leagues. And I think Michigan maybe, I don't know where it is because this is not my area of expertise yeah. at all. But just in talking to people, I'm like, boy, that seems problematic to me as somebody. If I'm running USA Hockey and I want full participation and there's yeah. rogue leagues or fed, fed leagues or whatever it is like we see in other sports that I'm dealing with in you know baseball versus the league, is that an issue for you, or like what? Is, where is that issue on the kind of concern level? Because I have know nothing about yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I mean, you know, it happens in in Canada as well. Okay, um, I think as both ourselves, USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, we have a vested vested interest in the future of this sport. Right, right. I mean, that's all we're about, um, and so we want to make it the best experience possible. And there were things going on in our game, U.S. in U.S. and in Canada, that had been entrepreneurial driven mm -hmm. and really for us we talk a lot about it wasn't age appropriate so a youth right. hockey experience for a seven-year-old shouldn't look the same as a youth hockey experience for a 17 year old right right but it has been and in some of those cases we've made significant changes i mean our biggest thing is we've we've gone to eight and under hockey has all played half ice or cross ice in usa yeah. hockey um, What's people, can you explain the motivation there for people that don't? Yeah, understand so why. so full ice uh, full ice hockey played by people that are you know five ten to six foot two. Uh, it, it's the physical size of the of the rink, two hundred feet in length. It's reasonable to cover when you have a, a seven year old who's three and a half or four feet tall. You know, to go from one end of the rink to the other is a long way. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, it's it's just more age-appropriate, size-appropriate model to be playing it on a half-ice or a cross-ice format. Yeah. Because you just cut the, the field in half. Again, as we, you know, everyone will understand this one. If you, you know, when your child starts in baseball, they don't play on the field. Yeah, it's not it's the same dimensions field. as Tiger <laughs> right. Stadium. <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. You know, in basketball – they don't start with the full, you know, the same net that basketball net that LeBron's dunking on. Right. Kids don't play with that when they're seven years old. Yeah, we just had to put the genie back in the bottle on that side. And some people want to play full ice hockey. They think it's real hockey. Well, you know, for us, it's you know that that we we go more to kid focused and kid centered. And right. To do it the right sizing the rink, make an experience that makes sense for kids of that age and that size and that you know mental development. Yeah, um, is logical and and you know frankly, and I've gone through with my kids, and I couldn't imagine playing full ice with my children. You know, at seven years old, right? Um, right. And I'm obviously that seems very biased reason, on right. the topic, but right. I, like I'm surprised to hear that there is pushback on that. Is it just because it's like I grew up and played on a full work for me? That is that the mentality? That's, that's a lot of it. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And and it's just want to play full ice. Well, okay, but. But why? Well, we just want to. Okay. Well, here's here's a laundry list of science and data and facts right. on how it's the best for every kid, not just not just the beginners, but every player. I mean, and again, you know, even the quote unquote elite eight year olds. Yeah. Because we hear about those <laughs> elite eight year olds. Right. Uh, and and I imagine the pucks on the stick more often if you're playing on a 
like that, that to me, if you're developing often, skill and you're trying to have kids learn to make plays yeah. against a kid in tight, you for probably sure. want. And that's and we have you know blue pucks for eight and under because mm -hmm. they weigh less because a seven year old isn't as strong as a 17 year old. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're in, I mean, again, if you take it all the way up to the NHL level or the level, you know, of, of our elite players in, in the USHL or the their national team program, um, you know, they're, they're making plays in tight spaces. I yeah. Mean, that's just, the game is so fast that they have to do that. And if you, if you see six year olds playing five on five, on a rink that's 200 feet in length and 85 right. feet in width, there's a whole lot of space out there. Yeah, so you could have so. the one kid who's great at eight or seven years old who has the puck the whole time. Yeah. And you get nine other kids either trying to chase them around or whatever. They, they don't get there. And it's just, again, I think for us in our, in the ADM comes back to what's age appropriate. Right. Um, okay. I, I, I wanted to ask you about this as well. Um, the I was at a coaching conference and uh, I think it was Ricard Gromberg, the Swedish national coach, talked about I think Sweden had gone a certain period of time without a gold medal or whatever. There was some impetus for change in how they wanted to play as players. And so they had this huge uh, meeting in the minds, essentially. And it was like, OK, let's emphasize, emphasize skill more. Let's have our let's develop our defensemen to be, be more offensive. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you started having like Eric Carlson and John Klingberg. You had all these yeah. great Swedish defensemen come up because they basically, as a group, said, let's change the way we play. Has there been a version of that with USA Hockey? Like, I, I think back, you know, the identity of USA Hockey, and this will probably come out around the anniversary of 80 and 60 and and. Those teams played one way because they had to, right? Yeah. And I think we've evolved as a country in a hockey world where the, when we're producing the yeah. best skilled players in the world. Have have those kind of conversations been had at your level? For sure, yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's more we hold it consistently. Um, I think we we're, we're sometimes we're almost too critical. I think of ourselves yeah. and just say, hey, let's let's keep this going where it is. Um, but we, we're constantly talking about that, whether that's. You know, here with the national team development program or on the grassroots level, I think really when we, for us, when we launched the American development model yeah. um, with the help of the NHL in 2009, that was really just putting everything down on paper and in a model that we felt we were kind of talking about and promoting to people. But right. It, it, putting it down on paper made a huge difference. People could kind of, it was a little bit of the aha moment of, okay, this is all this stuff you know, that, that we had some half ice hockey, but not really. We right. had the blue pucks, but you know, we, it was all happening. Um, and then frankly, we, we had some support from the NHL to say, okay, here's, here's what we need to deliver this across the country yeah, and make it where skill development, age appropriateness, all that stuff is important so that we can have lots of kids playing the game grows, right? The NHL wants to see more fandom, as do we. Right. Um, but ours is measured in participation. So how do we get more kids and families into the game? And then how do we make the experience the best it can be? And, and a lot of that is the development part, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you alluded to, right? Youth hockey for kids that get started is can be tough. I mean, skating's not the <laughs> skating's easiest skill hard, to master. as it turns out. Um, yeah. But if we teach that properly... And I always say this from, you know, years and years ago, I lived in San Jose and and... You know, we had started the youth hockey pro. It was youth hockey program, and the Sharks had just moved into town, and we were starting. And, and you'd have families that would come to the rink, and the parents had zero idea about hockey. Right. But the Sharks were hot; they were new, so their kid would come in, and after like two or three lessons, the kid could not skate well, but skate competently and get around the rink. 
and you'd have parents that were just blown away because right. they're like, I could never do that. <laughs> right, right. But now my kid's been here like three times and they could do that. And it's just, you know, the, the, the gains in hockey, you, you see pretty quickly from that. If you're an outsider and you come in and you right. can see a kid that falls down, gets up, falls down, then they can hang in there and balance. And it's different than other sports, right? Like in soccer, you can see a kid who may be really good, but you don't see like that real quick progression right. of, you they're know, they're not falling, falling down. down and getting up in soccer <laughs> right. the same way or basketball right. or whatever. Um, so I, I always think back to that of like, you know, parents can see like the quick progression. So sorry, I went around the block there. Yeah. Matt, but I think the, you know, John Van Beesbrook and he has conversation with our coaches here at the national team and then our hockey development people like, okay, who, who are we? What's our brand when you get to the highest level? Like, what do we do? Um, and where does all that, you know, the skill development for us takes place on the grassroots, it works its way up. I think we have everybody, you know, within USA hockey going the same way that, Hey, right. we produce, how do we produce the best players possible? So, so I, I love that question because I don't know the, I, I, I cover the NHL in the U S I, if you say, what is you at the highest level on the national team, the men's national team? Right. With women's is different. I think they're established. Their identity is established. I don't know like what the answer to that. Like, what is the brand? Is it skilled? Is it? Do we still have elements of the old? You know, the the old way of playing. I mean, we saw what happened in the World Cup. That didn't go well. Yeah. Um, what is when you guys ask that question? What is the men's I, national team's identity? Yeah, I think it, it's got to be all of those things. <laughs> right. And uh, John John has a better answer for it. Yeah, um, but it, it has to be. We have we're highly skilled. We know that. Like, we want to be highly skilled. Right. If you look at again the group you referenced that 01 birth year and draft class from last year, you're talking some highly skilled players. Yeah. You're also take, talking some guys that are pretty good size, strength. We want to be hard on pucks. Um, we want to be aggressive. You know, we're not a we're not a sit back and we're not a sit back and defend kind of group. Right. I think what it is is we defend by hopefully being aggressive and having the puck and making plays. Um, I know. You know, personally, from my end, I'd, I'd rather see us be that highly skilled team. Yeah. Um, but know that when you get to these international competitions, you know, you're, you're playing some really difficult, challenging competition. Yeah. You know, you've got five or six countries that in just about any tournament, birth year, best on best, you've got five, probably five countries that could legitimately win any tournament in any given year. Yeah. You know, you could, you could, you could play the tournament over again and have different results just because you get a bounce here, a bounce there. But I think for, you know, for, for John to work with everybody in our structure to say, okay, this is, we want to be highly skilled. We want to be hard to play against. We want to be, I think heavy is a term that would be used a lot. We want to be heavy on pucks and yeah. control the play that way. I think the setup, I don't know like what, like how you're judged, like at the end of the day, your job, right? Like if, if you're sitting there saying we're, we're getting, we have record participation, to mm -hmm. me that's a success and we're growing the sport in the U.S. That's a success. Yeah. For me, as a you know American, let's say hockey fan, I'm like I want gold medals. Agreed. Like that's great that the the eight and under is is doing well. <laughs> I want to see a gold medal at the Olympics. Why? Yes like, and yes. Is there like who's putting that pressure? Do you have? Do you feel that pressure it, since yeah, it hasn't do. happened? We do for sure. It's it's different in the U.S. We it's not you know we're not we're not the number one sport in the U.S. Right. right? So it's different. And again, you get compared to Canada because it's has been the number one sport in Canada for a long time. So it's different. I think for us, there's several different pressures and we talk about these things. You know, how do we grow the game is, is always central to what we do because we're the national governing body for the sport. And right. that's all levels of the sport. 
Right. So how do we do that? How do we grow participation? Because we want hockey to grow in our country and be bigger and be more important to people. At the same time, one of the ways to do that is to win at the highest level. Right. I mean, we've seen that in the girls and women's side. The participation numbers continue to grow year after year by by significant numbers on the girls' side. And we're winning gold medals internationally. Mm-hmm. On the men's side, I'm I'm with you. Right. <laughs> I grew up, I was uh, nine years old watching the Miracle on Ice in Lake Placid. Yeah. And, you know, this is to me, I feel fortunate to be able to get to do what I do every day because this is my sport. This is what right. I grew up with. So the passion is there that, you know, I want to see us grow this game and make it better and everybody had a great experience. Some people go, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> let's win at the highest <laughs> let's, levels. Let's win a couple and, goals. And that's our right expectation. Here. I mean, yeah. really, you know, we're, we're, crushed that we lost in the quarterfinals of the world juniors like yeah. that hurts yeah it 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 hurts all, all of our people in our organization from top to bottom because everybody knows we're developing players we have talent we can win and our expectations to be in gold medal games in every event that we go to and yeah it's not you know we're not the only country with those expectations right but i think we're at that level and we're at that level it's not i think we know we're at that level that we that's where we need to be for these events uh, so I I think because of our population and our, like that advantage, I think, and my, it's so easy for me to say. I think we should be dominant. I think yeah. we should be. Yeah. It shouldn't be Canada. Yeah. Like is the expect ex, like it should yeah. be the U.S. We agree, and our guys use the the language that we want to be world leading. Yes, in everything we do. Right, and and it, it is. You know, it, it, again, like in, in other – and we study Sweden. We study Finland. We work with those countries and what they do. And, yeah. and we share back and forth. And um, But our expectations are to win gold medals. And that's – you know, we have we have our challenges. And I'm not making – I don't want to make excuses here. But, right. you know, that's when we go into these events on the men's side and world juniors. And, you know, we, we know – we talk about this a lot. The men's world championships in the spring. Yeah. It's a challenging tournament because at the end of the NHL season, you know, it's not – um, it's a very important USA hockey, but it's not that widely known in the U.S. sports right, landscape. Right. Um, but we've we've had more and more of our best players want to go play that. And for You've us, seen that. You've seen the uptick. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't Patrick know, Kane right. comes over a couple times and has a good experience. He was the MVP of the tournament, you know, and we put ourselves in a good spot and lost right. the semifinal game, you know. And I think that's we're, – we're, we're right there, and I'm with you. We have to win. We have to win a couple of these high-end, yeah. higher-level men's tournaments. When you debrief, do you have, is it like, it's just hard to win? Or do you say, okay, this is what we need to do better next Both. time? Both. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it's hard to win, right? It is hard to win. Um, like, but, I never want to discount that. That isn't, but, that isn't the excuse. Yeah. I'm kidding with that. But um, we do look at it. Yeah. You know, we look at every aspect of it. I know, you know, John, John Van Biesberg and I have had several conversations on World Juniors. He's had way more conversations on World Juniors with coaches and other people that have helped in the selection of the team. What do we do? What, where, where do we, you know, go off? Um, but what, why didn't we win? Right. Right. And th- those are debriefed, uh, and looked at and where do we get better? You know? And, and then at the end of the day for me, and I look at it and say, you know, I'm not there with the team every day. That's, right. that's other people to do for us. But, you know, we end up losing on a power play goal in the third period where we had probably our top penalty killer was in the penalty box. Right. right? So you put those right. things together and Finland, Finland played, as the bet they played their best game of the tournament against us in that game. Right. You know, and, and Finland, unfortunately has caused problems for us the past Finland's, several years. Yeah. So John looks, you know, I'd say, um, John has to look under the hood. Like yeah. that's his job for those teams to look under the hood and, and do that. And we do, you know, we do examine all that because 
we're crushed when you when you don't win and you have that expectation um it's it's really hard to swallow you know what would help the cause this is gonna be my bit of advice getting the nhl players in the next olympics <laughs> where i know you're i know you work in partnership with the nhl on a yeah. lot right so you i mean i don't know what you can say here but what what yeah. it, i so, mean where are you at on that it has to happen come on <laughs> So we talk a lot with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. They know what our opinion is. We're, we're at a point now where, you know, if you look at the best players in the world, the best players in the National Hockey League, we have several of them. Yes. And we'd love to see them play for us in the Olympics. But ultimately, that's a NHL, NHLPA, IOC decision. Um, they know. I think, I think most countries would love to see their best players play in the Olympics. Um, but there's so many factors that go with it. I mean, you know, to shut down the National Hockey League for – two and a half to three weeks in February after the Super Bowl, you know, to, to bring everyone across the other side of the world now for, for Beijing in 2022 um, is not, not an easy decision to just say, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just go. Yeah. There's a lot of factors there for us. We'd love to see our best players there. There's no doubt. Gary knows that Bill knows that Don fear knows that you can't um, turn the screws a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean we can just talk to them about it yeah. and they know that and, yeah and you know they're not it's not a surprise i mean they've known that for us forever um but they have a lot of different factors that go into that that are that are you know the nhl does a lot for us and with us but they they then say okay go do your business um so in the meantime like i i th i you mentioned the world championships we've seen the teams get better. There, mm -hmm. there seems to be, and I think that's a, a legacy of Jim Johansson, who like that was such an important. Yeah. Like, I saw players saying, "I want to go play for him," and I and I and I love to see that. And um, but some of the feedback I get from players, like they'll compare even something like lodging or having to fly coach to go or whatever it is. And I'm assuming that's just a money situation yeah i mean there's there's different factors that go to it and we we continue to work at that too yeah i know i say that but we we're always looking to get better at it um at, at everything we do but on that side you know we take the feedback from the players yeah you know, what does it mean and, and again for it's different things for different players and different people you know and you gotta we gotta hit them at the right time and get that and you know but it's important to us and as we relay that to them that it's important to us important to usa hockey um you know we get more and more in there and they they understand we're different than an NHL franchise. Right. You know, we have, as the national governing body, yeah, we have to put together world championships team, Olympic teams. We also have to do triathlon for free programs. Like it's all under right. the same pool of resources. Yeah. Um, and there's only so much that, that we have. And those guys have been good. They give our, they give the feedback. And um, I, I really feel like the, the last, you know, what Jimmy was doing it for us, he was like the one man band forever doing right. the men's worlds and he'd do an unbelievable job and, and he helped turn that corner. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, guys that go over there have a good experience. We've, we've upgraded our uh, family program mm -hmm. so that we have people there for them. Um, we've tried, you know, John now, John Van Beesburg now talks about the personal touch, the little things that we have to do to make it the best experience it can be. And well, these guys are get used to all, like, that's the state, like they're used yeah. to getting that everywhere. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's, I imagine it's hard to say, Hey, Patrick Kane, you, you know, you're used to getting everything yeah. handed to you on a silver platter. Yeah. And then now, but those guys are good. I mean, the, the, and I'm not, the right. fun part is they're, they're great. They get it. Um, they understand it. it is different in some ways. Yeah. And again, we've certainly had a lot of players that come through the national team program that, you know, when they were here at 17, 18, they were getting the best in the world at their age, right, right? from our national team program. And then they move on to college, NHL. Um, 
But I think those guys, they, they, they love, they do love putting on our Jersey. Mm -hmm. They love being there. And frankly, the tournament in Europe is a different deal, right? It's yeah. just, it's not, it, it's just a different vibe over there, different experience. And a lot of them, again, we see guys like, you know, Patrick's come back several years. You see Dylan yeah. Larkin coming back. Yeah. Um, we tell them all, Hey, we want you guys in the playoffs. We want you playing for the Stanley cup. But if not, you know, come play with us, come yeah. help us win a gold medal and, and tell us, tell us what's important. Have you ever, have you entertained the concept of a, a national coach? Like a, like let's say, or, or for the men's team, for the men and just say, Hey, you, you know, it's, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, Peter Laviolette, you're, yeah. you know, we want to, we want to get you on board now and whatever. Has that, yeah, yeah, we kick those ideas around. I yeah. mean, again, we have national team coaches here at the national team program right. for the 17, 18 right. year olds. So we, we look at it. We, we've, We've chosen to spend our resources to create the national team development program to have that impact on developing players to get to that next level. Yeah, because you know, and this is no not fair to to Peter or anything, but to say, okay, Peter, you know that if the Nashville Predators no longer there, but if somebody calls next week, you know the reality is any NHL franchise is going to be able to outbid <laughs> that coach for his That's services. Right. So it's almost moved. So it's just, it's <laughs> right. just, it sounds great. And I know other countries do it, but other countries, we're all different as yeah. countries and federations at that level. So we've talked about those things. We don't think that particularly is realistic or is going to make sense. And again, we have, we have, you know, by definition, the United States is a melting pot, right? So right. for coaches, we have lots of great different coaches that we want to have have an opportunity to coach with us because that makes us better too. I was just thinking about this. I think the the American coaching right now, like I, I remember doing a you know Olympic rosters ten years ago, and it was like, okay, there's the two or three guys. Mm -hmm. You can sit there and go, here's fifteen guys. I would, yeah, you know, Mike. Sure. I think Mike Sullivan's the best coach in the league right now. Yeah, and what the you job know, he's done this year with the injuries, right? Right. Like I, I think that's that's. Um, yeah, I think our coaches, we feel that too. And, and again, one of the things that, that we talk about and, and John talks about with building men's teams is we want winners. We want guys that right. are coaching. I mean, Scott Sandlin, the junior team, it didn't go the way he wanted or we wanted at the end. But, you know, those are guys that two-time back-to-back NCAA national champion. Right. You know, and, and the coaching at the collegiate level, I mean, there's there, there's just there's lots of good coaches out there, you know, and we bring them into the, the men's worlds. We have some come help with the men's U18s. You know, we're having now on our women's team, we have Bob Corkum, who's a, you know, has played in the NHL a long time, but coached there as well. And now he's the head coach of our women's team. Yeah. Um, all right. To wrap up, I wanted to get into to your story a little bit, which I usually do more of. But this was, I'm like, I had an hour to complain about everything I'm mad about with USA <laughs> Hockey. So I was glad excited to. Glad I, got, I had glad to get a few things. Chest, Craig. <laughs> so, I, so you are, so you grew up a bunch of boys, right? Like it's a, a Yeah, I have, like five, uh, I have right? four younger brothers. Oh uh, grew up just outside of the Boston area, a little town called Belmont. Yeah. And uh, mom and dad were you know, sports nuts, I guess. They probably didn't have a choice with five boys. Yeah. Um, and my dad, you know, he joked when I was, I'm the oldest, so I was the first one to kind of get into everything. And he he brought me down to the rink and Saturday morning, and I wanted to stay home and watch my cartoons, but he made me <laughs> go to the rink. And, you know, this day and age, that'd be different, right? The, yeah. the dad might let the kids stay home and watch cartoons. For but sure. my father was was – you know, like most people, they're instrumental in getting them involved in the sport. And was he a hockey player? He, he was not. I mean, he played like men's league and stuff, but yeah. he really didn't grow up. His parents were, you know, had had come over from Ireland. They were born and raised in Ireland, and he was born here, and he had siblings, and he started getting them in because back then the 
parents just really didn't do it the way we think of it today. Right. So he more or less got his his brothers and his sister into sports, and he always liked that. And you know, at the time when we got going, he just he was into it, and he he ended up he coached. You know, as we commonly we're talking about eight and unders, it used to be called mites. Yeah. He was the mite coach in Belmont, Massachusetts, for forty years. No kidding. Only the mites. That's amazing. So Gosh, the patience. Forever and yeah, and I mean, it was there was, and he just loved it. And, you know, yeah. was, he was an old school guy too. Like, I mean, yeah. he'd go down. You go down the rink, and I'd go down when I got older. And actually, some of my friends, their kids played for my dad. They played for my father, and then they their kids did too because they yeah. were still in Belmont. And he'd be the same. He'd just be yelling, and the kids would look at him. He'd be just yelling and just loud, and right. but he loved it. He cared, and every kid, and you know, my brothers and I benefited from from that atmosphere. And my mom was the team manager and on the board and they did everything and yeah. you know, hockey was kind of the central we played all the other sports but hockey was kind of the main one and it's been a big part of our family and still is for a lot of us and all everyone you guys went to play college hockey is that right yeah everybody uh, to varying degrees of success yeah <laughs> <laughs> the brown jv career being uh, one of the least <laughs> successful of the five That's of us safe. um but uh yeah my my next brother-in-law brendan played at saint mike's in vermont d3 my brother Chris was a two-time All-American at BU mm. and played 10 years of pro hockey. And, and as we like to say, he gave my father the best birthday gift ever because he played uh, – Chris played two games in the NHL. One was for the Bruins in Boston on my father's birthday. Oh my so nobody was ever beaten that. Uh, my brother Ryan played college hockey at UMass Boston. Uh, and then my youngest brother Timmy was a goalie at Boston College. That's amazing. Yeah, so everybody played and everybody – you know, we're all still in the game. We all have kids at play um, and it's still – you know the the central the central thing in our family and all our wives that have come into this uh <laughs> in this killer world and right. have learned more about hockey than they ever knew in their previous lives and um yeah it's just it's it's something that's you know important to, to all what we do and you know i love the we talk a lot about the the olympic teams and the yeah. you know national teams and that stuff is great and that's the and to me that's the end of the rainbow of usa hockey right it's really right. the grassroots and the families and there's there's you know we have a pretty unique story of the keller family but there's a lot of families out there that have their own hockey stories and that to me is really like what drives me about our game is right. what it does for families and communities yeah that's that's great so so what did you study at brown i was a uh, business economics major oh wow yeah all right so smart so if you could do economics other people could judge uh, that yeah, I guess, but yeah. uh no managed to get out in four years nice and, uh yeah, and then and then you know decided that I just um, I was not a Division One hockey player, and right, I, right. but I loved hockey and played in our JV program for four years, and then just wanted to get in the game somehow. So I coached a little bit and you know looked at different ways, and then got involved kind of on the business side, really on, of ice rinks and how those you know how we can run ice rinks efficiently and how that impacts obviously hockey and the growth of the game. And was fortunate to do in a few parts of the country, and then have been, you know, in a variety of roles within USA Hockey and our staff for the last tw almost 20 years. Wow. And so it was like rink management? that, kind of, that kind Yeah. Of, so yeah. running hockey programs, but for, you know, private rinks, so private businesses. Uh, actually, like I said, in San Jose, when the Sharks built a, built a facility out there that's now got, you know, four sheets of ice, soon to be six. They had yeah. two sheets to start with. Um, I was hired. I, I did a grad school program at San Jose State for sport management and helped run the hockey programs at the rink. So I learned the business side because, you know, where I grew up in Boston, there's, they used to be community-based rinks. There weren't really, you know, the rink in Belmont was a tennis court in the summertime and a right. rink in the wintertime. So the business of that rink wasn't really a business. 
learned about it. Was in Chicago for a few years, a couple different facilities, and then when USA Hockey and U.S. Figure Skating in in 2000 started an organization called the Time, serving the American Rinks mm-hmm. Star. That's now called the U.S. Ice Rink Association. So it's really a trade association for the ice rink industry. How do we make sure our facilities? Um, can run efficiently and effectively and safely, and mm-hmm. then ultimately profitably so that hockey and figure skating can be in business. I was hired in 2000 to start that organization by USA Hockey and US Figure Skating. Are they prof- like, is it, I, I always wondered, is, is a rink a, a tough way to make it's a, a living? It's a tough way. I feel like you know, it would we're be. rink owners now with USA Hockey yeah. Arena, obviously, and it, yeah. it's a very difficult business. Um, and but we have a lot of, you know, they're, they're, they're viable businesses. Um, they're challenging, right? You don't shut the ice off when you go home at night you still have to keep it cold right. so the costs associated with running an ice rink are are challenging um and so you have to maximize you know what you can uh with all your programming and right. ultimately for us we want to make sure there's lots of hockey program in the facilities so that more kids have the chance to play and you know we went through rink building booms as the nhl expanded yeah um into different markets newer markets um, are you so, seeing that in like, let's say Vegas, like, are, are there yeah. hot spots right now in the country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, uh, we had conversations down in our meetings in Orlando and, and Vegas, uh, the Knights have a practice facility. They're building another one, another two sheets. So their market, uh, will have more capacity and that means growth, right? right. There, there's more kids are going to play. Uh, we go up to Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, there, I think someone told me, I mean, the, the NHL club has a three sheet practice facility that's under construction and there's four other sheets of ice going in that Seattle market. And there's already pretty good capacity yeah, in Seattle. Yeah, I was out to a couple of couple of years ago. Like there's already s- some sheets. Yeah, so. they have they have they've always had a strong youth hockey community out there in Seattle, Tacoma, Spokane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's going to continue to grow. So they can, you know, there I think Seattle will be the kind of the next big boom, right? Like Vegas, yeah. we're seeing yeah. Vegas, the Golden Knights, their success and all that they're doing is great. It's great. They don't have as many facilities right now. Yeah. They're growing. But, you know, Seattle that has, I, I'm, I'm going to wildly guess at 20 or 25 facilities. There's now that you many. add seven yeah. more sheets of ice, you know, you can really, things can happen. Because those those existing facilities will get a boost from having the NHL team there. What? Uh, all right, so we've seen California kind of blow up in terms of producing talent. Do you have any, because you know the data, do you have any predictions in the next hotspot? <laughs> um, I, again, I think anywhere... You know, obviously the NHL markets have a huge boost. Yeah. I mean, we all know the Austin Matthews story at this point, right? From, right. From Phoenix. Um, you know, it, I don't think there's a, a burst coming in any of those places. Seattle's already produced players before. Yeah. I mean, Vegas will be a little ways away. We've seen more and more kids from Florida. You know, you're seeing more and more kids from Texas at the highest levels already. Yeah. Um, Southern California. So those places, I think, will just continue – Hopefully, we'll continue to see more and more out of those yeah. places. I'd be curious because we saw it happen with the Bruins. Like even traditional hockey markets spike oh. right when the Bruins. Like I, th- I imagine Chicago. Like there's going to be some payoff of the Blackhawks winning for sure. Cups, well, right? St. Louis right now. St. Louis. St. Louis right now is tracking like close to thirty percent ahead on participation really? as a result of the Stanley Cup. That's and then you know you throw in because the you get a boost in those markets where the cup where there's a cup win. Yeah. And I think, as you well know, the cup has been in an NHL market in the U.S. It's been going, every it's been year nice since 93. Yeah. So we we always see that burst in that market. And St. Louis is just the latest. I mean, the Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah. Numbers across Chicago land just grew so much. And, and you know, you're seeing those players that have grown up on Patrick Kane. Like, yeah. you've seen that. And that's, you know, we'll see some of those guys. And you look at it, again, for rosters of our teams or rosters of, you know, you'll see for, 
the All-American Prospects game, the yeah. BioSteel game, you know, just kids from all over. Mm. You know, I think I saw a story that actually a friend of mine who lives in Naples, Florida, the local newspaper was the story of two players from from Naples, from Florida, that are in our Youth Olympic Games team. So wow. 15-year-olds. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Pat, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank it was, you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, squeezing it in, which should be a fun night tonight at the uh, All-American Game. But thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. I want to thank Pat Kelleher for taking the time to join the podcast. Uh, and also a thank you goes out to Dave Fisher for arranging the interview and for the folks at the rink for finding us a quiet office. I think we kicked somebody out of their office to record that. And uh, it was it was great and uh, really appreciated the, the conversation and the opportunity. So thanks, Pat. And thanks to everybody who made that happen. Uh, before we wrap up, I would just encourage you, uh, one, go to usahockey.com to check out all of the different events that they have as part of Hockey Week across America, especially, again, I can't stress this enough, if you have kids and you want a low-risk, easy way to try hockey, check that out on Saturday. And lastly, as always, want to share the special 40% offer for Full 60 listeners to The Athletic. If you are not a subscriber, especially right now as we get through trade deadline and into the playoffs, I mean, this this stretch run, this is when it goes fast, and we have a ton of great stuff for hockey fans at The Athletic. So if you're not a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash full60 to get 40% off a subscription. Again, that's theathletic.com slash full60 for 40% off. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Pat for joining the podcast, and have a great week. <laughs>